Hi, my name is Siler. I work at Christ Church, and I'm here to teach you how to memorize the books of the Bible known as the Minor Prophets. I'm going to sing a song, and then you'll sing along with me. Here's how it goes. Do you know the Minor Prophets, Minor Prophets, Minor Prophets? Do you know the Minor Prophets? There's 12 books in all. Hosea, Joel, Abel, Sobadiah, and Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All right. Your turn, sing along, everyone sing. Don't make me look silly, here we go. Do you know the minor prophets, minor prophets, minor prophets? Do you know minor prophets? There's 12 books in all. Hosea, Joel, and Sobadiah, and Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All right, keep practicing. We'll see you next time. Well, uh, Siler will be at the uh, Lake Forest campus signing autographs in the lobby after the service. Uh, Welcome. Happy New Year to everybody. Welcome to those joining us at uh, Crossroads Highland Park in the 01. So I want to start by talking for a minute about groupies, Uh, quintessential groupie being a young girl, 10, 12, 14 years of age, uh, at a boy band concert. And I'm not Current with my boy bands, I, uh, I, I can pull up uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, and I'm sure there are more recent boy bands than that. Uh, but the, a groupie is someone who is paying attention to someone who is not paying attention to them. I'm sure there's better definitions, but, but generally a groupie is someone who's paying a lot of attention to someone who is not paying attention to them. So a young girl goes to the uh, concert hoping that Justin Timberlake is going to pull her out of the crowd or whoever it would be, one of the Jonas Brothers, you know, someone's going to pull and say, you're the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. And uh, that's sort of the hope and dream. And uh, if you're a woman and inclined to roll your eyes at that, um, you know, 20 years ago, you were probably at a Richard Marks concert wearing cargo pants and hoping that he was going to pull you out of the crowd. And guys, you're also not immune to this. Uh, if we speak of people who pay a lot of attention to people who pay no attention to them, there's a whole lot of uh, posters of women that have gone up. Uh, back in when I was in high school, it was Farrah Fawcett, and it has moved through there, clearly paying no attention to the high school boys that are putting up their posters. Or we have grown men who are sports groupies. Who, uh, who are always following a team and know all the stats and they talk about their playing days, even if they didn't have playing days. And it's just, just and when you, when they actually get around an athlete, the athletes always sort of want to back up a little bit and like, it, it's a game. And you know, I, wow, this is a little weird that you're so dialed in on this. So I want to suggest that life is too short to be a groupie. No one wants to be a groupie. And yet, In the book of Hosea, the portrait we get of God is that he is your groupie. If a groupie is someone who is paying attention to someone who's not necessarily paying any attention to them, what we see is this unbelievable faithfulness and attention from God to us, even at ridiculous levels. And we see that in the book of Hosea. So... Hosea is one of the minor prophets. It's the first of 12. It was written in 700 B.C., which is significant because 
That's about 200 years after the kingdom of Israel, which had united, the 12 tribes had united under David, stayed together under Solomon. They split after that. So 200 years before Hosea writes, the the northern and southern kingdom had split. And uh, this is just before the northern kingdoms, which is retains the name Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah after that. The northern kingdoms, these ten tribes called Israel, are going to be taken away by the Assyrians. 722 BC, they fall. We never hear from them again. They're completely annihilated by the Assyrians. And Hosea is living in the northern ten tribes. He is prophesying. He is God's spokesman to these northern ten tribes. He is working, doing his messaging for about 25 years principally during the reign of Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam II is like the worst among the bad kings. The northern kingdom only has bad kings, and he's the worst of the bad kings. But, but everything seems to be going well at the time. The market is up over 25,000. The market is high. Everything seems to be going well. But internally, things are falling apart. And uh, that is the time at which Hosea is instructed by God to do this shocking thing. He is to marry a prostitute. And we get this at the very start of the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. Um, the, the Lord, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits great harlotry by forsaking the Lord. So he is instructed to marry a woman whose name is Gomer. The book of Hosea has some particularly bad names if you're looking for names. Uh, I wouldn't recommend the book of Hosea. But uh, So he's instructed to marry this woman, and her name is Gomer, and that's not the worst thing about her. The worst thing about her is that she is a prostitute. And, uh, and he is to marry her in order to illustrate the relationship between God and his people. And so he does. Uh, And what we're told is that right away she conceives and gives birth to a son that is his son. And then shortly after that, uh, she has another baby, a daughter. This daughter's name is Not Loved. Thus the probably not names you want to pick for your kids. Daughter, this is our daughter, Not Loved. And then they have a third child, a second boy, called Not My People. And given the names, Not Loved and Not My People, and the fact that the book of Hosea pretty specifically doesn't say they're his kids, it appears as though they're not. And shortly after that, uh, she leaves him. And we don't get a lot of the details of this, but you can imagine. I mean, this happens quite frequently, and so you can imagine... uh, that there's a note on the door when he comes home and, and she says, uh, I'm gone. Uh, don't come looking for me. I never loved you. The kids aren't yours. And, uh, you know, I, I, I need my freedom. And so he's now got two young kids that, uh, or three kids that he needs to take care of and get them fed and get them washed and put them to bed. And then he goes to the neighbor and he said, would you watch my kids? Would you, would you sit uh, here while I go out? I've got to find my wife. And the neighbor almost certainly would say, you don't want to find your wife. You have no idea how many men she's had uh, in your house while you're out. And uh, he would hear that undoubtedly over the next uh, months or years. We don't know how long. 
But it's pretty clear that he continues to, to pursue her. And uh, so he was probably hearing, oh, there's the prophet, and the prophet's marriage is falling apart, and the, oh, there's the man of God who's always sticking his nose in everybody else's business, and he can't even control his own, his own family. And, uh, and, and he continues to sort of probably touch base over child care kinds of issues by going to see his wife who is working at the brothel. And then uh, things begin to unravel for uh, Gomer. So she, after some period of time, begins to lose uh, market value, and she begins to fall down through the, through the social strata. And uh, at some point, she's with a man who beats her. And Hosea goes, we read about this in chapter 2, he goes, and he appeals to her to come home. <laughs> and she says no. And so then we read later in chapter 2 where he goes to the man that she is living with, the man that is, that is beating her, the man that is sleeping with her, and he says, look, I love this woman, and I'm worried that you're not taking good care of her. I want to give you money so that she is cared for. And this goes on for a while, and then we read uh, that uh, it, at the end of chapter 2, that he decides he's going to sell her, this man uh, who she's living with. He decides that he's going to sell her as a slave. And uh, so God says, we, we know what this would be like. We know something from, from history that every, every community of any size had a, had a market that sold people, domestic slaves, slaves working out in the fields, and sex slaves. And they would all be stripped naked and paraded in front of people, and people would bid for them. And God says to Hosea, chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, go, um, go uh, to this woman who is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love, uh, love them, go and buy her. And so he goes to the slave auction, and he buys his wife back, she costs more money than he has, so sort of breaks him financially. He gives all the money he has. He has to give some gifts in kind as well. And then he says to her, um, I want you to be faithful to me, but even if you're not faithful to me, I am going to remain faithful to you. Now, this all happens in the first three chapters of Hosea. The, the book is 14 chapters long. In, in chapters 4 through 14, the, the story, the themes, the ideas get further developed, and it, it's, uh, there's sort of 25 years of his messages that, that get condensed down and sort of pulled apart. Much of it is poetry. Uh, and, and in addition to sort of exploring these ideas of faithfulness and harlotry, you also have uh, a message in which Hosea says to the people, because of your sin, right, because you are proving unfaithful like Gomer, you are going to fall. The, the, the nation of Israel is going to be overrun by the Assyrians, which is what happens in 722. Uh, but God says through Hosea, this is not the last chapter that will be written. I will redeem you. I will come again. I will send a new king, a messianic king in the line of David. Your story will end well. You will repent, and I will take you back. So all of that is found in the rest of, uh, of the book of Hosea, which I just want to remind you, right? This is not just a story. This is 
an illustration told through someone's experiences for God to communicate several ideas. So I often will hear people say, um, you know, if, if I follow God and I do the right thing, then life will be easy. Right? If I'm in the center of God's will, life will be easy. Say, um, why do you think that? I mean, just out of curiosity, I'm pretty sure that's not what Hosea would say. Right? It, was a, it, was a hard, it was a hard assignment that he was given. So what do we do with this book? <laughs> well, I think there are several big ideas that are screaming at us that I want to be sure you get. Number one, the first big idea that comes out of the book of Hosea is this is how we treat God. We are, you and I, are Gomer. If you were here a couple months ago, I had a friend of mine, Mark Laberton, uh, preach, and Mark told a story. He had been reading an interview of some uh, young uh, Silicon Valley gazillionaire who had started a company and was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and he had been flying. And when the interview took place, he had, he had recently been on a commercial flight, <clears throat> and he was very mad because somebody had brought a, a baby into first class, and the baby had cried, and he said, uh, that's it, I'm, I'll never fly commercial again. I'm only going to fly private. My mission is to avoid people who bum me out. And... Uh, Mark said when he read this, he thought, wow, what a jerk. Uh, That's your mission is to avoid people to bum you out. And then he thought, well, wait a minute. (laughs) I avoid people that bum me out. That's me. And I would say, uh, we're to read the book of Hosea and say, what a good-for-nothing, faithless wretch of a person. This woman is. She, I mean, this, this guy tries to take her back after she has, has gone and slept around with other men. She's getting beaten. He tries to take her back. He, he supports her. He, he tries to take her back. He buys her back. And she is worthless. And yet, the whole point here is, that's us. In, in, in Christianity, The relationship between God and his people, the metaphor that is most commonly used, is marriage. In other religions, worldviews, you see king, servant, master, slave. In Christianity, it's husband, wife. And and the, the implication is, religiously speaking, we're all married to God. We are either faithful to God or we're whores. And, and I use that word that's a little bit edgier than prostitute or harlot because the Hebrew word has got some bite to it. It's earthy. And that's the implication. That's what we are doing. So you can imagine somebody going to Hosea and saying, Mr. Prophet, you're a nice guy. Uh, seem to try hard. Uh, what in the world are you doing staying with this woman? She is no good. Like, why don't you move on? And Hosea saying, well, I am so very glad you asked me that question because I'm doing it for a very specific reason. I'm doing it 
to illustrate how you are acting. And the question that you're asking seems to be the question. How long can we expect God to keep pursuing us when we're acting like Gomer? And then you, you, if you think about it, so God redeems the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Hosea redeems this woman out of a brothel. God takes his people, who he refers to as his bride, he takes them to Mount Sinai and they enter into a covenant relationship. Hosea takes this woman and marries her and enters into a covenant relationship. The people of Israel take the, best, the blessings and benefits of God and then turn their back on God. And Gomer takes the blessings and benefits of her marriage to Hosea and then turns her back on Hosea. Right? I mean, the, the parallels are built into the system because that's the whole point. And it is, uh, it is shocking, but it is, it's what, that's the message the prophets give. Remember, if things are going reasonably well, then kings and priests can be in control. It's when things are getting out of control and God has a particularly biting message that he sends the prophets. So the first thing we get out of the book of Hosea is we're not treating God well. The second thing we get out of the book of Hosea is God is ceaselessly pursuing us. Right? God is Hosea who keeps supporting, buying back, showing up, being faithful. A number of years ago, uh, a friend of mine was engaged, and the the engagement was broken off, and and the the woman did not break it off in a particularly kind way. And then about three months later, she came back and she said, "You know what? I was wrong. I do, in fact, want to be with you." And we were talking about this and whether or not he should, you know, go back to her. And he did, and I got their Christmas card. They've been married 30 years, have three kids, right? So it, it worked out. But we're talking about this, and he says, my dad says, absolutely not, right? She broke your heart once, shame on her. If she breaks your heart again, shame on you. You can't be a chump. You can't just put yourself out there. And uh, yet God does. If you read through the book of Hosea and you get to the 11th chapter, uh, some interesting things. Um, some interesting things take place there. The analogy changes. So, for the first uh, most of the book, the analogy is between a husband and a wife. In chapter eleven, the analogy becomes between a parent and a child. So, Hosea eleven one: When Israel was a child, I loved him. This is uh, this is God speaking through the prophet. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And then in verse three. I was the one who taught Israel to walk. Right, so you can just see the picture of, a, of you know, the parents sort of holding the little kid. Fifteen years ago, I was uh, talking with a woman whose adult daughter was being very abusive. And uh, we had gone through this for months. And the adult daughter was, uh, was lying, was stealing, was just all kinds. It was, and it was abusive. And at some point I said, okay, you know what? Um, you have done, you have done everything that you can do. You need to cut her off. 
So you need to, you need to move her stuff out on the driveway. You need to change the locks. You need to take the credit cards. You just, I mean, this is, this is got, this, we've got to set up some boundaries here. This is too much. And the woman said to me, um, you know, I'm sure that's the right thing to do, but I'm not going to do it because this is my little girl and I taught her to walk. And I remember at the time going, you taught her to walk. I didn't fully appreciate, but that's a cute moment, right? I mean, that's, a, that's, that's one of those hallmark moments that you hold on to, the first steps of your child. And she goes, I taught her to walk. So she's abusing me. I get it. But that's okay. I'm going to keep loving her. Now, we can argue, as I did, that love looked different than what she was suggesting, and that there, there was, and this story ended well as well, finally. But God ceaselessly, relentlessly pursues you. Right? There's, there's like no, apparently no level of shame and humiliation that he's not willing to endure. Because Hosea gets shamed. It's embarrassing. Right? To keep going back and to being told no in the worst possible scenarios. And by the way, the suggestion, if you really push on Hosea, is, is that, uh, you know, Israel was not a great catch. I mean, sometimes you see couples and you're like, well, what is she seeing him? Or what does he see in her, right? When you look at Israel and God, you go, really? Why Israel? I mean, the Greeks have got, they're better thinkers. They got the philosophy. The Romans have got the army and the might. Babylonians have got the wonders of the world. Israel's got nothing. Like, why does he keep pursuing her? Nothing about this makes sense except God's love for you. God's love for me is not based on our being lovable. It's not based on us. It's based on him, right? He is that good. It's not that we're that good. We shouldn't have groupies. We're just not that good. And even people that have groupies are not that good. This is all about God and who he is. Now, there are some other things that come out in this uh, story. Forgiveness, like Hosea just continues to forgive Gomer. Ransom, the whole idea that he has to buy her back, she goes for sale, she's in debt, she goes for sale, and he pays for her, right? God redeems us, he pays for us with his son. The, the fact that love precedes performance, right? Gomer is not loved by Hosea because she's being good and faithful. She's loved independent of that. Or the fact that uh, God's love is greater than our sin. So I will occasionally hear from people, well, I get that God can love you, and I get that God can love other people, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know, you don't know how bad I've been. Okay, um, but here's what I know. I know how big God is, and I'm here to tell you, you're just not that significant that this would be a challenge for God. I've used variations of this illustration before, but I ran across this one this week. If, um, if the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, is represented by the thickness of a, of a piece of paper, then the distance between the sun and the next closest star is 70 feet. So if the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, is a sheet of paper, 
you have to stack sheets of paper 70 feet high to get the distance between our sun and the next closest star. In order to get the distance between one end of the Milky Way galaxy and the next, you would have to stack papers 360 miles high. That's one galaxy. Our galaxy apparently is not a particularly large galaxy, and there are, I grew up hearing that there were 100 billion galaxies. About a year ago, they came out and said, oh, we radically underestimated. There's at least 200 billion galaxies, and we think perhaps a lot more than that. So, the God who created 200 billion galaxies is not challenged by your sin. I mean, it's just not like he goes, oh, I can create everything, but that, uh, I, can't, I can't deal with that. Right? So we get this idea reinforced in the book of Hosea that what we think of as shocking and scandalous, it's a violation of, of marriage vows, it's a violation of intimacy, all of that. And no, it's, it's not beyond God's ability to forgive and to love. So there are, there are several things in the book of Hosea. The one I want to leave you with as we prepare to go to communion is that there is a, an interesting idea that gets developed uh, throughout the book of Hosea and in other parts of the Bible, and that is that, that what is needed is that we would know God. So in, um, in Hosea chapter 2, there's a statement in which um, in, which, in which we're told, in which God says to uh, the people, and this is when he's saying, I'm going to win you back eventually. It's going to get bad, but I will win you back. He says, I will marry you uh, in faithfulness, and you will know me. In Hosea 6, 3, there's a passage that says, let us press on to know the Lord. The word that is used here, in these cases and others, is the Hebrew word yadah. And Yadah is an interesting word. Um, it, it reflects a, a knowledge of something that is beyond head knowledge. It's experiential. In Genesis 4.1, says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. So it suggests a, a, an intimacy and a, and a, a not. So to know is not just to know about, it's to actually know. And there's a huge difference between knowing about and knowing God. Jonathan Edwards said this, just as there is an, uh, an infinite difference between being told and believing that honey is sweet and actually tasting the sweetness, so there is an infinite difference between being told and, and uh, being told that God is love and actually experiencing the love of God in your heart. So what we need, it's the beginning of a new year, lots of people want to turn over a new leaf, they want to move forward, go to the gym, I'm going to try and take control of things. Lots of people want to be on the right track. I would suggest to you, knowing God is the way forward. And it is a transformational knowledge. So how do we know God? Well, I have two minutes and 49 seconds left. It's a bigger question than that. Uh, There's a whole lot of things that could be said. Let me start by saying that if you don't know that you know God, if you don't know that you have a relationship with God through Christ— Sign up for Alpha. This is a program that works. It's helpful. 25 million people have been through it around the world. Sign up for Alpha. It's a good program. This is where it starts. 
If you know God, you say, I know God, but I need to know God better. Right? Okay, well, then just like every relationship, how do you know somebody better? You spend time with them, you talk, you listen. As we translate that into time with God, it's time in worship, it's time in devotional reading, and time in meditation, time in prayer. I mean, it, it's all the things that you know. Uh, I want to suggest knowing the love of God is transformational. And it does change who we are and how we think. And there is an opportunity. God's scandalous love for you is on display in the book of Hosea. And you can think about the safety that provides. That level of scandalous, groupie-like dedication from God to you is there. The final way that I'll mention that we can know God um, is we can know God um, by experiencing the sacraments, which are sort of a mysterious opportunity to commune with God. We, don't, we can't fully understand it, but in a very profound, symbolic um, way, we feast on God, right? We, we identify, I need to know, I, I need, I need you in my life. And we are going to come to the communion table now. So I'm going to turn things over to the campus pastors. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we will take communion. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your love. We cannot imagine how many times we have, uh, we have been like Gomer. Forgive us for that. Help us, dear Lord, to move towards faithfulness to become people who, uh, who understand your love and lean into it, who know not just about you, but who know you. Guide us to that end. Meet with us. Care for us. Help 2018 to be a year in which we know you, not just, we would not boast in our riches or boast in our wisdom or boast in our power, but that we would boast in this, that we understand and know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.